0: Well, Tony, congratulations. I guess he's already, he's He's done downstairs. Choir, thank you. One of the things that Robin and I always love coming back home is to listen to just beautiful music, and we thank you for that. It's good to be home, it's good to be here. How many of us today feel certain about where their life is going? amen i'm glad you do and one way i do in other ways i'm very confused you know we live in a world where disease war war in a way i think most of us could never have imagined in our lifetime is occurring again financial political instability you know i was looking at some of the faces downstairs and they're twenties and thirties. And I'm thinking, wow, I'd be a little concerned if I was them in this time frame, but yet let's talk about what God's doing. And please understand this, this morning is not what we're doing. It's what you are helping God do. We're just the hands and feet. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, this is your time. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would open our ears and our hearts to the things that you want us to hear. Lord God, and through it, we would cry out to you for peace. We would cry out to you for the ability to serve and for your kingdom to grow through this terrible, terrible time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, I want to take a few minutes to talk about what we've been doing, what we hope to do, and what we're learning in this. For us, the story begins on February twenty-fourth. It's Thursday morning. It's about six thirty. I've got a little old, do- a little dog that needs to go outside early in the morning, so I'm outside at six thirty, and I hear this. <laughs> And I wasn't the only one that heard this, and I thought, that is a strange, strange sound. And I said, that almost sounds like artillery shells. So we w- I went back inside, turned on the television, and sure enough, what people had been saying for months that Russia was going to invade Ukraine, even though most of us thought, no, it'll never happen. No, he won't do that. It had happened. So quickly, we began to get on the phone and, and check with people and see how they're doing on our, our team. We have a contingency plan in place that if we need to evacuate in, in a hurry, we're, we're prepared, We a uh, week before, we had packed what we called our go bag. That meant we had clothes, documents, everything that we needed if we needed to leave in a hurry. But very quickly, one of the things changed was Not that we anticipated leaving during this, but our first avenue out was to fly out. Well, they closed the airspace within the first few hours. So it's like, okay, that's that's not a problem. We're not fearful, We're, we're here. But over the next 24 hours, you are beginning to see and hear about this mass exodus of people leaving Ukraine. Now, yes, you'll hear that the majority of them went through Poland, but Poland's a much larger country. Moldova, which borders Ukraine on the south, and a lot of the people we got were leaving from Mariupol and Odessa and southern, began to flood across the border into Moldova. And it may help to put this in perspective a little bit. Ukraine is a country of 44 million people, Okay. It's estimated that 11 million people have been displaced, meaning they have left their home. Now, 11 million people is just a number till I realize that is the equivalent of every person in the state of Tennessee and every person in the state of Kentucky having to leave their home in a three-week period so you can begin to understand the mass exodus. And we, as we thought and prayed, you know, we realized we don't have the capability. We are not a huge team. There are seven adults on our team. And, you know, we realized, well, let's just focus on what we can do. And that was to allow people into our home. So within the first 48 hours, there was a social media network set up where people were posting, hey, I'm at the border, I have a family of three, can someone house them? Hey, I have a a family of five, can someone house them? So by Friday night, we had three people in our house. Now, through the weeks, next two weeks, we had then a, a, a mom and their two kids. They were only with us one night. This was a lady on a mission. She was ready to go to Poland. Then uh, we got a family of four, two young men. Uh, the 15-year-old son was handicapped, so their fa- his father was able to leave with them. And then we had a mother and a daughter that stayed with us for five days. One of the questions we got over and over was, why would you do this? You don't know who we are. You can't trust us. And we said, well, we are Christians. We feel that this is what God has called us to do. We are here to serve and to be his hands and feet. And it wasn't just us, the whole church. It was an amazing thing to watch the church in Moldova that when we first arrived 18 years ago was very much a receiving church had grown into a church that was a giving church. And it's been phenomenal to watch this happen. But I want you to, again, to think about what is going through the minds of many of these Ukrainians as they're fleeing their country. Most of them have no idea where they're going. They're leaving everything that they have. It's the dead of winter. Most of them are crossing the border with just one suitcase. Don't know when they're coming back, they don't know anything. There is confusion, there is panic. So, what we wanted to do is give people the opportunity to have a safe space for as long as they need it to get a deep breath and say, Okay, what can I do? Now, Moldova. Is a small country, it's the poorest country in Europe. Most people didn't want to stay there. They wanted to move on into the EU. Yet over 100,000 people have stayed in Moldova. So we went from understanding that there was the opportunity to do for a few what you wanted to do for many to understanding that although they were uninvited guests, this was a huge opportunity. See, we work in a Christian context most of our time, training and equipping other Christians to minister there in Moldova and now into Central Asia. But the first gentleman we had, uh, Jonathan, 28-year-old German, who knew the answer for everything. He was just... He politically, he knew what to do. He knew everything, but he knew nothing about Jesus. He literally had almost never heard of Jesus. Nothing about him coming and dying for our sins on the cross and living again. So we shared the gospel with him. A couple of nights later, I'm in the den and I hear Robin having a conversation with one of the moms. And it's very similar. Now, neither one of these people accepted Christ that night, but the seed was sown. That was what we were trying to do in this, is just show people that in spite of this terrible war, this terrible time, there is the opportunity to love on one another. So then the opportunity, we realized, began to be how do we minister to those that are staying? And especially, this is where your gifts have come in. We adopted two villages, and if you wanna pull up some of those slides, we'll, we'll uh, show, I won't bore you with 100 slides, okay? So we just began to buy the basics. We were focusing on, let me get my numbers right, 15 families in two villages that had, between the two of them, uh, 24 kids. So what you sent to help We're just simply buying, you can see flour, potatoes, food, just because they're living, they have no viable income, most of them at this point. You know, one of the things I failed to mention is when you left the country, if you were a male between the ages of 18 to 60, you could not leave. You were required to stay there and serve our fight. So, next slide. So we took those and simply, in these two villages, divvied out food bags. Between the meat and everything, I think these bags would run us about $75. So you're just, you help people go grocery shopping. The next slide. Just the basics. So our little uh, 2004 Outlander became uh, quite the little hauling vehicle. and go on to the next one. But this is who you wanted to serve. The couple on the left are Stas and Ira Borosnets. We have been working with them since 2007. Just great people. And when we would gather together, Stas would bring a gospel message uh, to them. And it was just a way to encourage people and say, yes, we understand the pain. We understand that you're hurting, but you are not alone. I thought it was interesting in Sunday school this morning. We were talking about being alone. You know, with Christ in our lives, we're never alone. So, uh, go ahead. Then the second village uh, was the other half of of these families and kids. This was uh, Good Friday, and we gathered together to give them a little Easter meal, just something to help them break the monotony. and then, as you can see, the weather's warming up. The only problem is they left in the winter time. They really didn't have any summer clothes. So the next slide. So Robin spent a fair amount of time over a week just going from secondhand stores, buying clothes to pass on to them. And again, you know, it's why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? And therein lies the opportunity to share the gospel with people. So what was initially an intrusion became an opportunity. and I don't want you to think about something else. Well, over time we have grown weary of the word refugees. You know, that seems to have such a, a negative connotation. So now we just wanted to, to call them our, our Ukrainian guest. But this is where we want to continue. Lord willing, and, you know, we used to say the creek don't rise. Well, in our case, it's Lord willing, and the Russians don't make it to Odessa. We're planning to go back on May 16th. So, uh, but we're, we're going to be watching. We're prudent. Uh, I told Dad, I said, we're not going to be heroes. We're not going to be there with uh, bombs and tanks rolling down this, the center. Now, the one little political part I will move into here is oftentimes, this week in particular, you have heard about the Russians going to Moldova, invading Moldova. All right, there is a strip of land that borders Ukraine and the Nistru River. That is called Transnistria. That's what they're really talking about, where the Russian soldiers want to go. Well, the Russians are already there. Robin and I, and others have worked in that area we've grown very accustomed to driving through checkpoints with russian soldiers and armored personnel carriers there you know they don't care they just wave us on through but we don't think that russia will invade moldova where we are we think they'll stop with that piece of land but i want to take the final few minutes though to talk about well, what are we learning? What is God trying to teach us in this time? Two things. One, when I get in, and I'm sorry, there's one last slide that'll help. This is a young lady, I think she's 28, 29. This is her little son who's under two years old. They are from the region of Mariupol, which you, if you follow, this is a city that's been heavy fighting. Uh, at this point, she had not heard from her husband who was fighting in three days. She did not know if he's still alive, what the situation was, and in this you become very angry. You get very, very angry at the whole situation. But in this, I have to keep reminding myself, God is sovereign. God knows. You know, I don't know if we're going to see Daniel and Revelations and all the prophecies of end times come to fruition here. I don't know. But I do know that through this, God is at work and God has a purpose. And part of that purpose is for us to be what we say his hands and feet and show the love of Christ to people. But the second thing where I really want to look at our our scripture today, and if you would, go to 2 Chronicles chapter 20. I want to talk about what do we do in these times when we don't know what to do. And other than the gospel and how it has invaded my life and given me hope and life, this passage probably means more than anything to me. Because it points to those times when I don't know what to do. Just a little bit of background. If you go back into chapter 17, Jehoshaphat goes to uh, his fellow king. You have Israel and Judah. And together they collude to go to war. And the other king says, uh, Jehoshaphat, will you go to war with me against this country? And he says, yes, but first let's pray. Well, in chapter 17, if you go back and read this, and I encourage you to, there's a problem there. Did anybody pick it up? He didn't say, let's pray and then I'll make the decision. He made the decision and said, let's pray that God will bless our decision. How many of us in our prayer life make the decision and then say, God, you bless it? Well, as a result, He loses an army of over 600,000 men. Now, in chapter 20, you see this great multitude coming against him. So what does Jehoshaphat do? Verse 3, And Jehoshaphat was afraid and turned his attention to seek the Lord and proclaim a fast throughout all Judah. The first thing he did was he went to god and prayed he had messed up guys big time he had lost an entire army the is the king of israel was killed in the battle but then as he begins to pray it's interesting if you look at the passages it's much about remembering of all of what god has done and i remember thinking to myself initially that's strange why would he spend so much time remembering and telling God, or telling God what he had done? But then it dawned on me. He wanted to remind himself of God's faithfulness. When we pray, how much time do we spend thanking God for what he has already done in our life? Then I want to skip to verse 9. It says, should evil come upon us, the sword or judgment or pestilence or famine, we will stand before this house and before thee and cry to thee in our distress and thou will hear and deliver us. I like this part. Should evil come against us? What I hear and see, this is a man who is surrendering to God. It says, God, it does not, The outcome is not so important. What is important is we will serve you. We will worship you regardless of the outcome. How many of us in prayer in these times of uncertainty go to God and say, it doesn't matter what the outcome is. I trust you and it will be okay. This is one of the great challenges that we have as we pray for these Ukrainian friends. How do we encourage them from. When they look at life through their worldly perspective. Everything that they have is gone. Our opportunity. Is to say We have something much greater than gold or silver. We have Jesus. Then verse 12. And it's the verse that's in the bulletin. Oh our God. wilt thou not judge them. For we are powerless before this great multitude who are coming against us. Nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Guys, that's for much of my missionary life when I feel so inadequate. This is where I live. Lord, I don't know what to do. And especially right now in this place. And I hope you leave this morning that that's where you're going to go. Lord, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. Verse 17. After the Holy, in in, in 14 and 15, the Holy Spirit comes upon one of the members in the group and he tells them what to do. He tells them what to do. Now, oftentimes in my life, I hear God I don't listen to God in Russian it's that you have two words slush it and slish it and what's interesting they mean very different things but there's only one letter's difference there's a big difference I don't know about you but in my life between listening to God and just hearing God I hear God all the time but do I obey and do I listen to God That's a challenge for all of us. Are we going to be obedient and do what God has called us to do? Well, in this, it says uh, in 17, you need not fight in this battle. Station yourself, stand and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow, go out and face them. The Lord is with you. What an unbelievable promise that that is, that we can go out, when God tells us what to do, that we can go out without fear, trusting the outcome. It's a scary world right now. You know, in 2019, we came home on home assignment and we just thought things were great. Ministry was at a place it had never been before. We were excited to be home. And then something called COVID hits and we can't get back. Ministry for everyone throughout the world just goes. And now here comes this war in our part of the world. You know, I am a long range planner. Part of my spiritual gifting is uh, to be what we call the apostle, that, that can look out and see, okay, this is where we want to be in two or three years. Now praise God, my wife, is detail-oriented, and she's helping in the day-to-day steps, because if it wasn't for her, I'd be in big trouble. But it has been so frustrating over the last couple of years. That I can no longer say, okay, this is where I think God wants us to be in two or three years. I mean, I, I can and I still do to a certain thing. But I know that things could change tomorrow. Things could change tomorrow. But in that, my message for you today is we know not what to do, but our eyes are on you. Let us pray, and then I'll turn it back over to Tim. Lord God, you are sovereign. You are above all things. And Lord, we know that you love us. We know that you sent your son to die on the cross for our sins. Lord, that you conquered death. And Lord, until you come, we are to be busy about going into all the world making disciples, baptizing them, and teaching them about the love of Jesus. Lord, we are grateful for this church, for its long history. Lord, we are grateful for the impact it has in the city, in the state, and around the world. So, Lord God, I pray that you would continue to be at work in each of us, and let us See beyond the intrusion to the opportunity, Lord, that we would focus in on doing something for just a few when we can't do a lot for many. We thank you, Heavenly Father. It's in your name we pray, amen.